Welcome to the Thinklings Podcast, a conversation where good thoughts help renew the mind with the Word of God. I'm Charlie Carter, and I'm here with Tim Little and Andy Stearns. Let's jump into the conversation. Welcome to the Thinklings Podcast. We are just Tim and Charlie in this episode. So, uh, Andy, not able to be with us. He's with us in spirit. And uh, before I do anything else, Tim, how are we doing? I'm doing well. Doing well. I am healthy and strong. And since I've been sick a lot, I'm glad that I'm uh, actually feeling well. You know what's funny is you were sick for a while. Yeah. And then I got sick. I don't think we got sick. I don't think I got anything from you. No, we weren't even Uh, near each other. (laughs) Man, a summer cold is just... It's just hard. Your throat's all dry and it's like 95,000 degrees outside. Mm. It's not good. It's Mm -hmm. not good. But anyway, in in honor of Andy, if he's not here, I'm going to at least read a quote that reminds me of Andy. And so we had an episode a few weeks ago where we got some books donated to us, some Tolkien, Inklings books. I started reading one of those, which was Smith of Wooten Major, and I loved the first line. So this is in honor of Andy. I think it's just a really cute opening line to Smith of Wooten Major by Tolkien. So here's the line. There was a village once, not very long ago for those with long memories, nor very far away for those with long legs. Just think it's a really cute, <laughs> cute little line there. Yeah. Long, long time ago. Unless you have a long memory or if you have long legs, <laughs> long you can legs. just walk there. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. So I just got back from Whispering Cedars. It's been a week now, but got back from Whispering Cedars uh, camp in Nebraska, senior high camp. Yeah. How'd that go? It was a great week. And I think... Now, the first camp I spoke at, I think it was like 2013, somewhere in there. So it's been about 10 years. And every summer since then, I have spoken at at least one or two camps, probably a couple of retreats here and there as well. And so speaking is just like anything else. The more practice you get, the better you get at it. You Mm -hmm. learn things. Yep. And I just continue to be reminded when I go that trust is so important trust that you need the the people listening to you as a camp speaker they have to be able to trust you yep and uh, i really leaned into that this year and there's there's some things i do that specifically it is a trust building thing so i tell them by the end of the week i'm gonna learn every one of your names Mm. so where i got this from Phil Betts up at IRBC, I watched him do this with their part-time workers during Water and Work Week. He would have them all stand up at the beginning of a chapel and he would just go through the room. And if he didn't know their, if he said their name, they could sit. And if he didn't know their name, he would ask them questions, like try to learn their names. Yeah. And I tell you, uh, I've done this two or three times now and I've never met a camper who, when you start and you're like, hey, what's your name? And you're like, oh, my name's Brian. Mm-hmm. And then the next time you run into them and you're like, ooh, your name is Brian. Yeah. I've never met a camper who doesn't up. smile when yeah. you do that. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's a relationship, trust mm-hmm. building thing. Mm-hmm. And by Wednesday morning, I had learned every camper's name and uh, I could I could sense that they started to trust me. Yeah. And so just a lot of great conversations following yeah. chapel. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, had some young gals come up and be like, Charlie, you just talked about reading good books. Could you give us any recommendations? And what did I recommend, Tim? Uh, didn't you recommend Song of Songs for Singles? I did. I <laughs> said, first, ask your parents to, so that you know that the single guy from the camp who recommended a book on the song <laughs> told you to talk to your parents first. But then I did recommend mm -hmm. Song of Songs for Singles. And then you gave them some other titles. And I gave them a bunch of other good stuff too. So, and, if, and if they're listening, it was a great week at Cedars with you guys. Mm -hmm. And so, are you doing any speaking this yeah. summer or anything? Yeah, I'll be at, uh, I think it's Faith Baptist in Carroll, Iowa um, in August. Yeah, Faith Baptist. Faith Baptist in Carroll, Iowa, August 6th, 6th, 13th, and 20th. I'll actually be doing a six-part Sunday school and morning service on the Song of Songs. Uh, pastor, pastor's uh, out of town on vacation. So if anybody in that area, if you don't go to a church, hey, stop in. Love to see you. And I uh, can kind of hear some of the instruction verbally on the Song of Songs. And the pastor there used to be at your church in mm -hmm. Cambridge, correct? Yeah, Jay Chapman. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think Jay and I took a class together. I think it was a Dr. Newman counseling class. And I, so I think we were in one class together. That could so be. we should have him on the podcast. We should get him over here. Yeah. Or virtually get him over here. It'll be a little hard. Yeah. It's a little bit of a drive. But so speaking of the song, you are going to do a devotion from the song at the I end am. of this episode. Yes. And before we do that, as always, we have some Thinklings business to tend to. Books and business. Let's talk about a book. And this is one that I've been excited to talk about for a couple of months now. This is Discipling by Mark Dever, Discipling in the uh, undertitle, How to Help Others Follow Jesus, which is just his simple definition of what discipleship is, is right there on the cover. How to Help Others Follow Jesus. And so I've got some thoughts here. And so trying to pull up my notes. Might have to lean in so I can read from my computer. So to start off, uh, like he says, definition, what is discipling? How to help others follow Jesus. What I really like about it is it is a very basic and simple overview of the task or the idea of discipling or discipleship, which I think is nice. The uh, Rainbow series by the Nine Marks crew, which is, this is one of those, they're all meant to be a very short, straightforward, simple approach, which is good for the average person in church. Yeah, it's a good introduction. It's not meant to be an academic, mm -hmm. uh, precise, mm -hmm. deep look at something. It's meant to be a very helpful uh, tool for the church. So mm -hmm. I like that about it. And so it's a great starting point for anyone looking to do discipleship in their church. And so it certainly serves that purpose. I'll mention later, there are some specific points that this book doesn't mention or it doesn't develop which is mm -hmm. why it's not trying to, but I'll get into that in a little bit. But uh, so mainly what I think it is lacking is it doesn't incorporate or develop the ideas of progressive sanctification or even the means of that. So like what is walking in the spirit? I don't think it really gets into that. Yeah, that was actually funny. That was one of my criticisms of it too. It, it, may, it does a good overview of discipleship, but it doesn't yes. explain, okay, how do you do it? A methodology. A methodology, so, right. Uh, Getting into some strengths, though. So mm -hmm. one strength, and this is always true of nine marks, is they heavily emphasize 
corporate discipleship through the ordinances and regular assemblies of the church. So where should discipleship be taking place? It should be in the local church. I, mm-hmm. I think that's one of the best things about the book is that it really emphasizes that the need for culture of discipleship is, is in the church. We should be building a culture of people meeting with and helping other people follow Jesus in our churches. Mm-hmm. And so great heart there from Dever uh, to express that culture of discipleship. And so I think that's a really strong point here. I appreciate the sentiment. And that, that theme is all throughout this book and most of the other Nine Marks books too. So great thing there. As I already mentioned, I think the best improvement or kind of the lacking point of the book is uh, kind of once you finish reading it, you are going to want or need further study in how Mm -hmm. to disciple. It's not a how book. It's a what Mm -hmm. book. Right. So there are mentions throughout the book of character and transformation in a few places, but they rarely go into depth or any precision. If you're carefully reading, you will uh, perhaps understand that the discipling effort should include the inner man. If you're really perceptive, like, oh, that's probably what mm-hmm. he's referring to there. Right. Uh, as an example, uh, let's see here. Uh, I say as an example, and then I didn't include the example in my notes. But um, he, he just doesn't really get into the how you would address the inner man. And so he does mention the Holy Spirit nine times throughout the book. And not one of those references is to walking in the spirit, which I would say, oh, he mentions, if, if, I, if you told me, Tim, in Dever's book on discipling, he mentions the spirit nine times. Like, oh yeah, he's probably talking about Galatians 5. Not one of them. And so that, that right there is the, the blind spot mm-hmm. of the book right there. I understand, listener, too, that we particularly note that blind spot because somebody else is working on a book specifically in that area. So when we're reading a book on discipleship, we're kind of looking at it from that lens. You, you're reading my notes, Tim. So, <laughs> Sorry. So let me, let me keep going here. So in an attempt to balance out the critique, the book strongly recommends and encourages all discipleship to involve the Word of God. Mm-hmm. So allowing for benefit of the doubt to the extent that walking in the Spirit always includes obeying the word of God. I'm okay saying the book addresses walking in the spirit because they encourage discipleship with the word of God. This connection is never deliberately made by the author, but I think we can give it to him benefit mm-hmm. of the doubt. Yeah. Uh, and like I said, there's no mention of Galatians five or Ephesians five. Um, so what you just said there. I'm a particularly picky eater when mm-hmm. it comes to discipleship reading. Right. And uh, so I'm probably overly critical mm-hmm. of that point, mm-hmm. mainly because if you want someone to know how to do discipleship, this actually doesn't tell them how to do it. Right. I mean, it, it kind of does. It does get into a few general nuts and bolts things, but mm-hmm. like if you're like, okay, I'm ready to disciple. I've picked someone. I want to use the word of God. Now, what do I do? Mm-hmm. It's just not there. Mm-hmm. I'm so, guessing like in their church, they probably have some other curriculum or something that's going to address all of that. I think it's, so. It's just not in this book. Yeah. And so overall, I'm going to give it a Thinkling's Goodness Scale rating of six. I think it is a very good book. I think it's something that I would love to hand someone. This is on our shelf of, of discipleship materials at Maranatha Baptist Church. And so I would say, hey, any church wanting to start 
to develop the culture of discipleship. This is a great book to have. The best thing about it, this is how I want my book to look. Short and sweet. That's what I want. <laughs> and uh, I mean, how many pages is it? Maybe 100, 120? Yeah, 120-ish. Yeah. And so that that is uh, what I would want my book to be like, is mm-hmm. that short, sweet length. Mm-hmm. Only mine is maybe a little bit more practical into the means of discipleship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Here are some good quotes. I don't have page numbers here. So anyway, so a couple of good quotes. Quote, there are no Christians who are not disciples. Mm-hmm. So you start thinking that through. Oh, that's kind of true. So like, if you have believed, you're a disciple, whether you realize it or not, you are one. Another quote, at the heart of Christianity is God's desire for a people to display his character. Love that quote because it focuses on the inner man, the development of character. Mm-hmm. Doesn't really ever get into how the characters developed mm-hmm. uh, other than the word of God in the church, but great quote. Third quote, there are no disciples of Jesus who are not following Jesus. Uh, why I thought that one was interesting is because he would be, I think, a full five-point Calvinist. So like, if you stop following, you actually aren't a disciple. Mm-hmm. It's like you you prove that you never were mm-hmm. in a sense. So I thought that was an interesting theological or, point. I mean, would they down. say that you prove that you never were, or prove that the church can't validate that you are? That's how he would say it. Yeah, yeah they, mm-hmm. they they no longer can validate a genuine conversion. Conversion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, after uh, being there and hearing their language in membership meetings, that's exactly <laughs> what they would say. Uh, here's another quote. My last quote: What God wants most of all is for all of you to love Him. All your ambitions and motives, your desires and hopes, your thinking and reasoning, your strength and your energy, all of this informed and purified and disciplined by his word. Uh, So tones of the Shema, like all your heart, all your mind, all your strength being disciplined by the word of God. And so I would just slightly manipulate that quote Mm -hmm. and say, all of those things being under the control Mm -hmm. of the spirit of God. Yeah. So uh, overall, it leaves a reader wanting another book to painstakingly rehearse the steps of walking in the spirit. If only such a text existed. (laughs) You're horrendous. (laughs) Obviously, in reference to what hopefully will be completed soon is the 12 discipleship questions. So as you read it, any any thoughts about it that uh, I didn't highlight? Yeah, so I read it like a couple or four years ago or something. But two of the things that I, I had some some notes on it. Two of the things that I liked, I liked his uh, have clear aims. So often we're like, hey, I'm going to disciple. Well, great. Okay, well, what does that look like? Or where is it going? Or, you know, you say, and you talk to somebody, hey, let's get together for coffee on a regular basis. Don't say like, hey, let's do it for July. Or, so this is the objective. I thought that was really helpful. Uh, so there is some practical stuff. Um, and I know we've de-emphasized that, but there are some practical uh, components to it. They're just not like, how does somebody yeah. grow Like general uh, practice notes right, right. rather than like mm-hmm. a specific or intentional method. Right. And then his section on raising up leaders, I thought that he had some helpful things to say there as well, particularly the church's role in, and how the pastors or I don't know, whoever would speak to a young man and be like, hey, have you ever considered being an elder? 
Um, so I'm, I'm a strong proponent of, you know, if, if you're in a local church and you see a young man that maybe has the qualifications or is, uh, could potentially be a pastor or a deacon, well, say something to that person, um, because they may have not even thought about it and they should, and God could use you and what you have to say about it. So I think I, I liked a couple of the points there. Absolutely. And overall, what I would say to, I do have one other thought. And he gets into this discussion of who should you choose to disciple, kind of what you were talking about. When do you end a discipling relationship? Like you're looking to raise up a leader. It's like, when do you just like abandon ship there? Mm -hmm. You know, which uh, I have discussed this in classes for, and it's, it's right there in second Timothy too. Who do you teach those who are? faithful. Mm -hmm. And what does faithful mean there? And I do think faithful, probably in the most direct sense, is faithful to the doctrine. It's like they know and don't have an error in their teaching. That's probably what's on the forefront of his mind. Hmm. But if you never show up and you never communicate and you just have a general lack of interest in being discipled, I would say those are less faithful than faithful characteristics. Mm. And so I've taught on this in classes and I've been accused of playing favorites where you just pick the one that you think is, you know, someone you like or someone who's smart or whatever. And who are you to decide that that person gets discipled by me and that one doesn't. And uh, so I've tried to balance out that thought over the years. And so there are circumstances where you do not get to choose. Right. For example, you're teaching a Sunday school class and you deem that little Johnny in your Sunday school class is not able to teach and not faithful. You don't ever get to go to Johnny's mom and dad and say, sorry, Johnny doesn't get to come to Sunday school anymore because he's not faithful. I'm not going to disciple him. That would be in the corporate setting, a choice you never get to make. Now, the nice thing, if you, genuinely practice local church membership, that maybe being a member of your church would be an easy barometer of deciding, do I spend most of my time with these people? So maybe you go and get coffee with people all the time. I gotta raise my hand. I do this all the time. Should I spend the majority of my time discipling people who aren't a member of my church? That is a really good question to think through because you could pour hours and hours and hours into someone who you never see on a Sunday or a Wednesday simply because they mm -hmm. don't go to your church. Yeah. And I think that's a really practical thing to think through. That is a nice hurdle for any discipleship relationship. Are they in my church? That's never a waste of time if they're in your church and you're, you're spending time with them. I think you would want to analyze the ones that aren't a part of your church. And so, uh, a couple. He, he I kind of disagree with your faithful thing. I don't think it's doctrine as much. You don't. As it's oh. faithfulness to. I mean, a lot of the young people that you're discipling, they don't really know theology. They don't really sure. know what the doctrine is. So, particularly somebody who wants to learn, who is regularly attending the church services, I kind of see the focus there on that aspect of faithful. Um, and anyway, sure. that's a. Uh, I don't know. I think I may make a distinction too. You know, we have children, um, as we're raising children in the correlation there, some children are not very, well, they're not faithful at all. They're kids. They're just. Exactly. Yeah. 
And so making a distinction, probably that's probably a, I would make a category distinction there probably. Well, And that's where, you know, since we're talking about second Timothy two, that, that was where we spent all of our time at Whispering Cedars was in second Timothy chapter two. Mm-hmm. And another question that I got from a gal in one of my classes, well, how does this apply to me? This is a pastoral epistle. Paul is writing to Timothy, who's a pastor, who's a man. It says right there, commit to men mm-hmm. who will be able to teach other mm-hmm. men. You know, it doesn't right. say that, but you could easily be like, well, how does this apply to any women? Because none of them are pastors, obviously, in, in our theological consideration. And so you do have to think that through too. Like, how much can I abstract the principles here to just the normal church member to church member relationship. And that's where the nice thing is, uh, I think the ideals of a pastor are required of the pastor, but should be aimed at by everybody. So, you know, you couldn't look at the list of pastoral qualifications blameless. Well, only the pastors have to be blameless. (laughs) I don't have to be. Well, you should still strive for it. Right. And so I think it gives us a nice template Mm -hmm. for all to target. But anyway, it's, we'll have to have another conversation on that. We're getting a little too deep on our uh, thing here, but, uh, I had one other thought I was going to mention and I don't remember what it is. So Tim, why don't you, uh, give us a final thought, a final meditation from God's word, a final meditation from God's word. Okay. So we're at the end of the summer. It's now August and uh, some have been at camps, some are transitioning to um, different chapters in their lives. As far as Faith Baptist Bible College is concerned, we have a huge freshman class that's coming in, and there's a lot of excitement. Uh, we're really excited about this new class that's arriving. And uh, with all of the um, all of the transition in time, I wanted to actually spend a little time in the Song of Songs. I haven't talked about it in quite a while on our podcast, and so I wanted to revisit uh, the adjuration refrain. I'm going to put a little bit of a different twist on it. I think it was almost two years ago when I talked about it last. States in Song of Songs, chapter 2, verse 7, I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the does of the field, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. And as we have some young people that will be coming to college, there's going to be a great desire to awaken love. And this reminds us of the danger of doing so. When it states, I adjure you, the word there to adjure, do you have a Bible translation up there, Charlie? Yes, I do. What does this say? What do you have? So I have ESV. It does say, I adjure you. Gotcha. Okay. It does have a note. Mm -hmm. Uh, So the ESV note says, that is, I put you on oath. That's a beautiful note because that's actually the word. This is literally an oath word. So when... Abraham uh, visits Abimelech. He, they make an oath, like they, they. It's a serious kind of an adjuration. Uh, so that's a significant component of this verse. Uh, this is something that should be taken seriously. And when it states, "I adjure you," the "you" there is a masculine pronoun. The very next words are, "O daughters of Jerusalem." I do believe the primary recipients of this verse are the daughters of Jerusalem, our young ladies. But this does not, but it also does apply to the young men as well. And then it states, by the gazelles or the does of the field, this is who you're supposed to swear by. 
Uh, I'm not going to get into that right now. I'm going to skip that one. And then uh, it states that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. And so, young person, as you, maybe you're in high school or maybe you're moving into college, uh, maybe you're looking at a four-year degree or uh, maybe some graduate work after that, uh, I would encourage you to think through, this is the mission that God's uh, placed before me. Um, If this is the plan that God has, then maybe I need to take seriously that this isn't the time uh, for a relationship and that you should not stir up or awaken love. I want to repeat that this phrase occurs three times in the Song of Songs. It means it's very important. It occurs in Song 3-5, I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the does of the field, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. The very same words in Song 3-5. Then finally, in Song 8-4, it states, I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. So three times this phrase occurs. And in the final time, I want to expound upon this a little bit more, because a lot of uh, singles, Christian singles, um, they really want to know, well, what does it mean to love? And uh, I want to talk about that a little bit more. And, And we see an explanation of it here in Song 8. So it states the adjuration in Song 8.4. Then in Song 8.5, there is a division between 8.4 and 8.5. But it states in 8.5, who is that coming up from the wilderness, leaning on her lover? Under the apple tree, I awakened you. There's our verb, awaken. And this is the time for awakening in Song 8.5. Under the apple tree, I awakened you. And then it states in Song, I'm going to skip to verse 6. Then it states, set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm. For love is as strong as death. Jealousy is fierce as the grave. Its flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. In this verse, and in the next verse, 6 and 7, we get an explanation of what love is. And it helps our singles our unmarried Christians, to think through, hey, this is something I probably shouldn't play around with. Um, Love needs to be connected to, um, this marital love, this romantic love, needs to be connected to a seal, a covenant, covenant between a husband and wife. And she states, set me as a seal upon your heart. No woman, the woman is doing the speaking here, it would apply to both men and women, no woman would want to be loved just because he has to. It wouldn't just do acts of love. She would want to sense that, you know, he actually loves me and it comes from his heart, the immaterial part of his being. But then also some, some might say, oh, I love you. And they may, may say things that communicate or uh, an, an emotion of love, but then their lives don't live it out. So that's why the next line says, as a seal upon your arm. The arm is what is the, the, um, the instrument of, of doing. So not only should love, biblical love, awakening type of love, be something that's internal on the heart, but it should also be something on the arm. And then she states, for love is as strong as death. That's kind of an odd metaphor. But death is something that's permanent. And that's what God designed love to be. Love is as strong as death. And that's why it's something that you shouldn't play around with. When you are ready for a relationship, 
then, and the song gives some other guidance, and you can read our book for more information on it, but um, and then would be a time to start pursuing something. But if you're not in a position to begin a relationship, if you're a high schooler or if you're, um, you have a lot of education or you have some objectives that you need to do in, in this life before that next step, then you need to pursue those and don't awaken love. Love is as strong as death. It's supposed to be permanent. Jealousy is fierce like the grave. Uh, Jealousy is normally not a positive attribute or characteristic. Um, But in two instances, it is positive. God is jealous for Israel and for the church to love him and him alone. He wants complete devotion, and it's a legitimate jealous love. Similarly, a husband and a wife have a jealous love for one another. Now, what happens when you awaken that love, and then the other person doesn't reciprocate? They Maybe you were together for a while, and then you get dumped. It's very painful. It's very painful because you awaken something that's designed to be permanent and now you have to shut it down. I wonder if there might be a metaphor that might illustrate it even more. Well, we have that right here in the Song of Songs. It's flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. So the song is literally teaching what is love? Love is a fire. It's a blazing fire. That's the way that it's supposed to be. And in verse 7, it explains the extent of that fire. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it out. The word there for floods is rivers. And the Song of Songs illustrates the, the um, ferocious, the, the fiery nature of love uh, in metaphor. Imagine a dry riverbed, and in that riverbed blazes a fire. And that fire is a huge fire, but then there's a torrential downpour, and the rain just comes flash, flash flooding down that riverbed and hits that fire. Love is designed to be unquenchable. I'll read verse 7 again. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. And when, you're, when you are awakening love before the right time, the song is teaching you are literally playing with fire. And either you're going to get burned or somebody else is going to get burned. The final phrase in the verse, if a man offered for love all the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. This is an important concept as well, because when you have that jealous, fiery love for somebody and they don't reciprocate, you're willing to do pretty much anything that they would reciprocate so that you would have it. But love doesn't work that way. You can't buy affection. In the ancient world, that was what happened way too much. Uh, In our world, um, there's all kinds of things that people would do to get somebody else to to, uh, reciprocate those affections. But love doesn't work that way. Love has to be freely given and freely received. So as we come to an end of a summer, and uh, maybe there was some kind of interest or romance that you may have had, or maybe there's a chapter change where you're going to be around uh, somebody that uh, of the opposite sex, and there may be great temptation to awaken love prematurely. Just want to close the podcast today and encourage you to not awaken love until it pleases. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Thinklings Podcast. We would love to hear from you. If you have any feedback, suggestions, or potential topics that you'd like us to discuss, you can contact us through our email, thinklingspodcast at gmail.com. Remember, don't let this conversation end with this podcast. Read good books, talk about them with your friends, and always continue to cultivate your mind. See you next time on the Thinklings Podcast. The Thinklings want to remind our listeners that the Thinklings podcast is our personal production. Our conversations, book discussions, and viewpoints may not represent the views of Faith Baptist Bible College and Theological Seminary. Any questions or feedback should be directed to us at the Thinklings podcast.